I strongly believe that you you are meant to do certain things in life. And mm. as I said, I never, maybe because I started off not wanting it to be a job, but more a vocation. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Jessica. And I'm Girish. And this is the Destiny Benders podcast, where we explore the impact of international education on the lives of students and professionals from across the globe. It's a podcast for international educators, by international educators, and about international educators. And in each episode, we'll be meeting with Destiny Benders of our industry. We'll look beyond the job title and really get to know the people whose mission it is to change lives and bend destinies. Our guest today is Cecilia Pereira Yates. Cecilia is the founder and managing director of GB8, an international education and partnerships consultancy with expertise focused primarily on Southeast Asia. Cecilia, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us on Destiny Benders. Let's get started with our first question. How did you get interested in international education? What drew you to this field to make it your career? Tell us that story. Hi, Jess. So firstly, thank you to you and Girish for uh, inviting me on here. So how did I get into this? You know, I think it's because I was an international student myself. So I, I kind of walked into that journey, began that journey as a student myself, as a postgraduate student, um, way back in the early 90s. And I think it just opened my eyes, my whole experience. I was totally unprepared when I got here in the UK. I was so excited to get here that when I got here after the first couple of weeks, I kind of thought, okay, nobody told me this bit. Um, And then I was doing my master's and I just remember thinking, I want to do something. I want to do a job that is not a job. I wanted a job which would be a vocation Mm -hmm. and I was drawn to just supporting international students. I think that was kind of my very early on, I kind of thought I I want to do my bit. So that's how I maybe landed in the role. Mm -hmm. So you came to the UK from Malaysia as a postgraduate student. That's what brought you to the UK in the first place. And where were you studying? So, so this, so I'll just share this. I I always wanted to do my master's. Growing up in Malaysia and going through the Malaysian education system, you couldn't, you had to go through the, the government rules in terms of the quota system to get into government universities. My family, my parents weren't in a position, they didn't have the financial capability to send me overseas at undergraduate level. So I had to just go through the normal system. And it was always my, I I always wanted to get into kind of politics and government, that kind of area. So I did my degree in journalism with a minor in politics. And so in my second year at University of Malaysia, I I started thinking about my postgraduate and I wanted to become a, a journalist that would be focusing more on the politics side of things. So at the end of my second year, I thought, right, I want to do Southeast Asian studies, 
politics more. There's only two places in the UK that does it at that time, SOAS and the University of Hull. And then in my final year, when I was in Malaysia at university, along came some exchange students to study the Malay language. And I happened to meet them. And one of them happened to be the guy that I happened to fall in love with. Who happens to wow. be wow? Oh. <laughs> so I had already made a decision to, to come to the UK. That's where I wanted to do my master's. And then David said he was doing Southeast Asian studies at Hull University. So more wow. the reason to fall in love, right? Yeah. So, so what um, was UK your always your destination, or were you looked at had you looked at other places as well? It was always my destination. And I think that's because again. It's family. My brothers had studied in the UK, two of my brothers, they they came here. So it kind of was the natural progression for me. And I suppose as well to do my course, I felt it was the country that I could speak the language. It shouldn't be a problem. It was something that I could do. So that's how I landed here in the UK. I suppose fate kind of brought me here. Perhaps. Was it was it everything that you'd hoped for when you first got to the UK? I think for the first two weeks it was Girish. And then I think I just thought, goodness, you know, I I spoke the language, everything and I, I thought I knew everything, but it was such a learning experience for me. I think it, I don't know. I think it was a learning experience, but a good one. Well, tell us more about that. What do you mean? So in 1994, if you think about it, I I landed in Hull to do my master's. And if anybody knows the geography, Hull isn't at that time the most diverse place. So that was a culture shock to me. And just the whole kind of experience of being at university, they were extremely friendly. It was such an extremely friendly university, really good. But I wasn't prepared for the outside, the university bubble, because people, I think, just wasn't very diverse at the time. So, you know, the whole kind of experience of, for the first time, kind of becoming very aware that I was the only brown person walking around certain, mm-hmm. <laughs> certain mm-hmm. parts of Hull was, was an eye-opener in that mm-hmm. time. I suppose that's why I, I wanted to make a difference in wherever I landed because I just wanted to make it a good place for people to come and be accepted. I think in 1994 as well, there there can't have been that many international students. The recruitment machine that we know of today probably didn't exist back then. And so you were probably one of only very few international students from anywhere studying at Hull. Is that right? I think on my course to do the master's program, um, because it was Southeast Asian studies, we had probably 11 of us because Hull was very well known for the Southeast Asian Studies program. And we had lots of people, you know, there was Indonesians, Malaysians, Japanese. It was a really good mix, a really strong department. It was word of mouth. I think people who who wanted to do the course, they researched it and then they came out and they did this. Um, But that was the early years. And you're right, Jess, it wasn't wasn't like what it is right now. So the numbers were very, very small. And I guess likewise, the staff at the University of Hull, there wasn't probably the international office, international student services and support 
that they have now or or were there? Actually, there was a very small, I think it was more like a one-man show. And and he, bless his soul, he's passed away now, was very well known on the circuit. He people in the British Council, they all kind of knew him. He was the face of the university but when I landed at the university I wasn't automatically drawn to the that wasn't come to the international office we're here to support you it wasn't like that it was very much at at a departmental level so I had really nice supportive people as I said in the university bubble but not beyond that well tell us about your journey right so you came to the UK to do your master's in South Asian studies what happened? So I was, you know, happily happily doing my course. And then I I obviously I came as a self-funded student. So I needed to 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 find a part-time job. So I, you know, worked in mother care and those kind of things. And then mm-hmm. when I was waiting for my dissertation, when I was waiting to to graduate, I mm-hmm. was looking for a part-time job and and landed in a role in the public relations office at the University of Hull. And again, I suppose because I did journalism, it kind of fitted in really nicely. And I just remember my boss, bless him, he he also passed away. But this man, I just remember doing my secretarial job. And one day, a leaflet arrived from Malaysia, and it was from the Rotary Club of Malaysia, just saying that they're doing some events. And I picked this up, and I just thought, gosh, you know, Hull should be doing something like this. They should be getting in touch with the Rotary Club. So I said to my boss then, I said, you know, we should be doing something. And he just went, it's not my department. So I said, oh, which one should I go to? So he said, oh, go downstairs, go to the international office, tell the guy there. So off I went, <laughs> as you do. I went to the, this man who was the head of that office and I just said, you know, really politely, I hope you don't mind, but I think the university should, should join this. And then about a month later, he emails me and he says, would you mind coming down to my office for us to have a little conversation about this idea you had? So we did. I didn't realise that in that office was the pro vice chancellor at the time. No idea. And then they just asked me lots of questions and I was just giving them lots of answers. And then they just went, have you ever thought of joining the international office, like doing this as a career? And I went, no. (laughs) And then they said, look, there's going to be lots of jobs coming up and we'd really like you to apply. You know, we, we think you'd be good. So about a month after that, a job, the jobs came up. I applied. I got the job. And that's how I started in international student recruitment for Southeast Asia. That was my focus. Wow. You probably never would have imagined that's what you'd be doing when you first no. came to the UK. No, no, not at all, Girish. But I don't know. I, I, I strongly believe that you you are meant to do certain things in life. And mm. As I said, I never, maybe because I started off not wanting it to be a job, but more a vocation. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what it is. It certainly sounds like it was serendipitous, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, that that you chose Hull and then David was there. And then you just happened to see this flyer, this leaflet, and one thing led to another. So from there, you founded your own business. You started your own business. So how did you go from working in the international? office at Hall to to that next step? So I started in the international office doing international recruitment in 1990, January 1998. And I kind of carved that area and took ownership of Southeast Asia. My boss at the time, he was fantastic. He, he just really 
enabled me to just get on and do it, you know, just do what I wanted to do. And I, I really enjoyed building the Southeast Asia market for the university. And I suppose one, as I said, went back, if I go back to the start, I looked at it as a vocation. So all these people that I was, these students that I was recruiting, I took them on like my own family. So I never, I never, I didn't draw the line between work and family. I kind of treated them all. And, and actually it was the importance of relationships. And I really focused on that. And I remember I had another boss who said to me, you're doing really well with Southeast Asia. I want you to do Cyprus as another country. And it's all about family and it's all about relationships. And so, so that continued. But I experienced, I found it, I, it wasn't very easy for me to progress in my career. I felt like you do really well, you uh, achieve, but you can't seem to, there are always obstacles in front of you. So you can't seem to progress. And one of the feedbacks after one of the jobs I went for, I, I, I got the feedback and they said to me that you have the, the depth of experience, but not the breadth of experience. Mm. So I was very good at student recruitment, but I didn't have the other bits that would really enhance my CV. So that's when I ventured into quality work. You know, I went into the world of QA and going through codes of practices, things that were very boring, I thought, you know, mm-hmm. I, I like to be with people. I felt I was behind reams of paper and Mm. and regulations but actually it was a blessing because I learned then the mechanisms around T&E that then really opened my eyes about making sure that all the partnerships that you do you know you, you have benchmarks and you have quality and your standards behind it and it was really good but then in 2009 an opportunity came knocking on my door I was I was invited to apply for a job in the the world of FE further (laughs) education the college in Hull they, they wanted to develop their international student recruitment function at the college they asked me to come and join them so I did I went into the the dark world of FE everybody was telling me why are you doing that? You know, but again, that was brilliant because I learned about vocational education. I learned about training. I started developing my knowledge and my contacts in the Middle East, in China. It opened up other regions for me. But in 2012, I experienced something quite personal, which resulted it had a significant impact on me personally, which resulted in me making the decision to step out of working for an institution and just taking some time out because I needed to heal. And then I, I, I just thought, you know what, I can do this. I, mm-hmm. I can carve my own path now. And I'm just going to do this. And I went through a really tough time in that period And it happened to be during the Olympics. The Olympics was going on in London because we were hosting it, Olympics 2012, and Team GB was doing really well. And I thought, what would I call my company? And GB was really strong. And I thought, I'm going to take that. And then being being Malaysian, Asian, you know what it's like. I mean, we love Feng Shui. So we love the number eight because the number eight is prosperous in the Chinese culture. So I thought, I'm going to just be GBA. That's 
what I'm going to be. GB, it was born in October 2012. Well, GB uh, happens to be my initials as well. So. Okay, you cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, I want to pick up on something you said. When you first took the job in international admissions and recruitment, you felt that you're doing that because you've, you know, there was a connection about family and not being a job and a vocation. But then subsequently, you did some jobs that weren't quite maybe fulfilling or maybe not in line with what you had originally hoped. So how do you how did you stay motivated? How did you because obviously looking back at it, you're saying that was a good decision to do that. That was a good decision to be in QA and FE and all of that. But during those years, how did you keep, as we say, the eye on the prize, which is the long term, what you wanted to do? Tell us a little bit about that. I think it's my faith. I think just knowing that there's something there already planned for me, and this is just a path that I have to go through. Um, I think it was that. I listened very strongly to my gut. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just felt that prompting, you know, even that kind of feeling became very evident even in the last 18, 20 months when you don't know what's going on and you're your own business. It's, it can be very hard, but there's something deep down which says stay this course because you're meant to be on this path. I don't know what's going to happen after that, but I just know yes. that right now this is where it is. And I think that's what kept me focused. Do you do you feel that your initial journey from Malaysia to the UK and some of the challenges that you faced and maybe built a lot of resolve during those times has continued to help you during every turn and most definitely. I think. Growing up in Malaysia, I'm not saying Malaysia doesn't have racism. There's a lot of racism, but I w- I never experienced any kind of terrible racism. I, I never experienced bullying. Mm-hmm. I never had that in school. I never had that at university. And then, and then when I came here, you, I kind of experienced all these things in my adult life. And you kind of think, gosh, you know, what is this? You know, having to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. At the time when I was going through it, I found it really hard. But now when I look back and, the, and it's the gift of hindsight and gift of experience, and you just mm-hmm. think that was that happened to help me mm-hmm. grow. But also I think it's happened because it enables me to help others. Absolutely. And I think that really ties in nicely with why Girish and I wanted to do this podcast, because those of us working in international education, we are changing lives and we are destiny benders. So do you still get that feeling even in the work you're doing today that you're changing lives and that some of those experiences that you had in the past are giving you that power to be able to, to do that and help others? Most definitely. I think, you know, if I look back in my life, um, I started the journey in 98. And then in 99, I became pregnant. When Jessica, my daughter, when when Jess was six months old, I took her on on one of the exhibitions, right? Wow. Wow. Yeah. And there I was in those early days. I used to have Jess with me because because I was doing Southeast Asia. So I used to take her back, let my mom and my sisters look after her, Mm. go to the exhibition, do 12 hours, then head back to my mom's place and look after her overnight, you know, do all the night feeds and everything. 
once a year, David would come out as well and he would bring Jess to the fair like an hour before the fair ends. And she used to be my secret weapon because all the people used to come yes. to the fair. <laughs> and, you know, I used to travel alone with her and the, the support I got from the other international officers. We used to fly back after clearing. And I remember like people who were happened to be on the same flight with me Mm. officers from other universities you know carrying the buggy helping me do all this that's mm. fantastic fast forward 15 years my daughter is 16 years old I'm at a fair in Singapore mm-hmm. and there are young international officers coming up to me and saying I want to start a family but I don't know whether I can do this job oh. so we are then having conversations and I'm saying to them you can if you've got good support mechanisms you can do this job you know so then I think back and I think well maybe that maybe I had to experience that in order to help other women I, I'm really passionate about helping other women Mm-hmm. Because I think you do not have to give up your job, your dreams, what you want to do. It's not an either or. It's not family or, you know, you can you can do it. Agree with you 100% because I too have gone through the same thing. Similar, not the same, but similar thing. When Girish and I met, actually, I was six months pregnant at, at NASA <laughs> with my son, Felix. Yeah. So yeah, you know, you, you just get on with it, don't you? And you do it. You can have a career in international education and be a parent. Yes. And I think that makes us also makes us special when we're out doing our work mm-hmm. because we can really relate and parents can relate to us. You know, they see Absolutely. that we care. We, we see we see the person. We see the person. The person is so important. I, I really, that's why I, I believe that what we do, if we really put our heart and soul into this, what we are doing is it's not a job. It's, no, it's not. It just help change people's lives. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Tell us a little bit more about, like you, you alluded to a little bit of struggle with the COVID pandemic. How has it been the last 20 months or 22 months? It's been really hard, you know, Girish, because I have my own business. I'm a small company, but I've gone back to just focusing on what I need to do to help people through this time. Uh, And you said earlier, if you can find a good support network, are you doing that for yourself? Did you find yourself a support network in these months or over the years that you've built that you continue to tap into? You know what? I really thank God because I have really been blessed with good relationships through the years, you know, and I've made some really good friends just through this 18, 20 months. I've never kind of met them before, but I followed them on Twitter and, and, and on LinkedIn and suddenly they've reached out. I mean, Jess and I, is, is, we're an example. I feel like Jess and I, we've engaged more. Absolutely, We have. Yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree. And I think it started with IC Cafe a little bit, didn't it? Absolutely. And with Sharon and Charlene. Charlene. And I think what Sharon and Charlene have done, it's amazing. I met them both in the January 2020 and then in February, March, COVID struck. They have just done something so amazing because they brought us all together. But I've kind of engaged with people, sorry to say this, Girish, but more women. (laughs) 
Sure, sure. Hey, you you, you got to build your communities wherever you can. Yeah. yeah, but I feel like the women have reached out and have been much more like really supportive and really kind of not being selfish in this time, you know. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, what I mean is they see an opportunity and they think of you. They could keep it to themselves, that, that opportunity, but they kind of think, oh, maybe it might fit you better. And I think that's really good. That's not That's being really supportive. And I suppose I, I shared with a couple of them. When last year, when George Floyd, when the whole thing happened, I found the courage to speak up a bit more. What we go through in the sector, I don't feel our sectors is, this is my personal feeling, I don't feel is very representative for some of us, you know. Like I always say, you know, why is it that I don't get a chance to be on the panel? I can speak. Yeah, I have things to say. Yeah, things to say, but but what? How come I don't get a chance? You know why? Why am I never approached? I mean, I I kind of know the answer. I've kind of spoken up on that, and I've said, you know, maybe because I've experienced the racism in my career, and I think there are a lot of people who are experiencing it who may be too scared to speak because they are in an environment that if you if you speak up, you can be singled out. I, I feel I can speak up, you know, and I, I remember putting out a post on LinkedIn and I wasn't sure whether I was going to do that or not. And I, I videoed it and then it was at the height of George Floyd. I, I don't know what it was. I don't know whether you felt it, Girish. It's like kind of brought out this. I wasn't fearful. So I did the video and I shared it, told David, I said, will you just see this and yeah. whether I should put this out or not? What do you think? And he listened to it. Then he cried. Wow. And he just said, do it. And then I said, what if I do it? And then what if I don't get any work? And what do people think I'm a trouble causer? And he just went, just do it, see. Yeah. People will know that you're genuine. And and so I did it. I, I put it out. But it was really amazing because I actually had, I think, about 20, 30 people like us, people like me, getting in touch with me saying thank you for speaking up. Yeah. I'm so happy you did that. I'm so happy you did that. Because, you know, George Floyd hit really hard here. And especially it happened in our backyard. I live in Minneapolis. Mm. It happened right down the street. So in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I, I hear you. I see you. Because, you know, I'm a small business owner as well. And there are a lot of challenges that we go through. There's people relying on you and besides your own family. And, yeah. you know, we don't have this cushy jobs. I'm not, not that jobs are cushy, but you don't have this. Yeah, solid job at a university where you know yeah i completely resonate with everything that you're saying because i came here from india i became a student and the journey that i went to led me to what i'm doing and you're right i mean there's an incredible community of international educators and i think we need to get more of those voices out there and include more diverse opinions in the industry in the sector but yeah, it's an incredible family of people. I've all, always advocated this. I've always said it's not about excluding anybody. It's about including everyone. I just feel we all have a place in this world and we all have an equal place. Yeah. So on that note, what advice would you give to younger professionals in the industry who are up and coming, who are probably going through their own challenges, whether they're working for a university, whether they're a high school counselor, or even a student uh, thinking about studying overseas? I would say to them that there will always be someone there who can help you. And you need to be strong enough 
to ask for that help when you need it, but equally believe in yourself that you can also be mm-hmm. of help to others. You know, so you've got a voice. You need to be confident enough to use your voice. Know when not to speak and know when to speak. You know, if anybody, I think one of the biggest things as well for people like me, and I've said this before, in our industry, there are very few, you always look up to someone, but there's very few of us that people like us can look up to. Representation matters. It matters. It really matters. So you want women You want to look up to women so that you think, oh, I can do that too. But equally, I want to look up to another brown person or another, you know, I want to look up to somebody like me to think, Mm. hey, look at her. She's an immigrant, but she's managed it. I always say this, you you are an ambassador of yourself and your institution and everything that you you do wherever you go. That's brilliant. Thank you. Let's end on a, a lighter note. Quick fire questions for you. All right, Cecilia, here is your quick fire round. What is your favorite place to visit? Oh, Penang. I know that that's where I studied, but that is my favorite place. I feel like I'm going home when I go. Fantastic. What three items do you always take on a work trip? So I always take my teddy bear. Hmm. I always take a photograph of the family. Mm-hmm. And I I always take my husband's T-shirt. Oh, (laughs) what is your favorite meal that you've had or experienced? I love Chinese food. Like I love proper Chinese, like Malaysian Chinese food. And I'd I'd give that to me any day. I'll eat it. And last question. What is one place that you'd like to visit that you've not had a chance to yet? I would really love to visit Mauritius. I've never been but I'd really love to go. Mm-hmm. Yes. I hope well, it's listening to this. I mean, it is our 25th wedding anniversary soon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send them a note. <laughs> we'll send them a copy. Well, thank you. Those were your quick fire questions. Thank you very much. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Destiny Benders. Next week, we're speaking with Dr. Barry Craig, president of Huron University in Canada. Mm-hmm.